worship with you guys. And uh, <clears throat> I haven't met you yet. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. And, and we've been in a... Well, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> I think I've met you. Okay. Um, but we are honored to have you here. And uh, we've been in this series in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you're welcome to go to Colossians chapter 3. Or you can uh, pull out Version, which is a kind of a free Bible app that we use. I put all my notes in there. So if you just click on... You version, click on events, and then type in Element City Church. It'll pull it up, and you can follow along from there. All the different scriptures we'll look at, some thoughts uh, for us to kind of wrestle with tonight. But uh, last week, we kind of said, hey, there's kind of a two-parter. And so if you missed last week, here's the quick recap. Paul is moving into this section in Colossians chapter 3 where he's kind of doing a wardrobe makeover spiritual edition, okay? So in essence, he's saying, here's some things that you are to put off and, and like let these things go, these attitudes, these actions, these habits that maybe have been a part of the old life that was you before you met Jesus, but now that as a follower of Jesus, here's some new things that you'd like to put on. So last week we talked about this idea that, okay, in here I've got like some my yard clothes, like when I do yard work, which is not that often, let's be honest, okay. Um, but <clears throat> if I were to do that, or like if you've ever done a project at home, it's like some of those things, uh, you just, you wear those clothes. Sometimes it's so bad, you just kind of throw them out and you start over, right? But sometimes you're like, okay, these are kind of the yard clothes. And you have a special bag or something that you put them in because you don't want them contaminating your house. But we also said, okay, we've had moments where we've gotten all dressed up, right? We've maybe gotten a suit, maybe you've been in a wedding, you wore a tux, and you had to figure out the whole bow tie thing, and maybe that was you. And, and if you're a lady, uh, maybe you didn't have a bow tie, but you had a dress. And so you got dressed up in that, and you've done that. And we've had different comparisons in there, and it's these old clothes and these new clothes. And in essence, what Paul's kind of walking us through here is here's some things that I would love for you. And remember, Paul's this, this spiritual teacher, this spiritual shepherd of this early church, and he's writing to this church that he's never visited, but he wants them to keep walking out their faith. And so he spent the whole first part of the book of Colossians kind of laying down the foundation of faith because, in essence, what they were battling was some Gnosticism, some Judaizers, some people who were kind of throwing out some falsehoods about what the Christian faith was really about, and Paul was writing to counteract that and say, no, no, no. Here's the solid faith foundation that you need. And he's wanting you to understand theology because when you understand theology, when you understand God and you understand who he is and you see him in a correct light and you see him with truth, then from there you can begin to apply what he has to say about life to your life because it matters. It's not just an add-on thing. It's something that really helps. And so Paul said, look, this is some stuff I want you to know about God, about theology, and now I want you to begin to play this out in your life and apply it. It's not just something for you to know, it's something for you to be about and doing. And so I want you to have these good clothes, Paul's saying. I want you to understand what this is. I want you to kind of go through this spiritual wardrobe, but, but he understands that we are still all bone and flesh, right? We still live this side of heaven, okay? Uh, raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, so that, like, that's all of us. We're all in the even playing field that we're not perfect, okay? And uh, we'd understand that this idea of perfection is not something we can attain this side of heaven because we're all broken. We're all cracked, if you will. Uh, we're broken and we have things about us and our character, things about us and how we see life and how we interact with life that's different and it challenges us. And so in the essence, we have this battle going on between kind of what the world says and here's what you need to be about 
and kind of what God says. And this tug of war is gonna happen. We looked at this in Romans chapter seven. Paul wrote about that. He wrote about this idea that, hey, some things are gonna kind of pull against you in this world, and even just because you're in your earthly body, that you're gonna have these desires that you want to live out that aren't the best for you. God's designed you for something better, and he has something better at heart for you but you're gonna feel this tug of war internally. Remember, he wrote about that, and he said, he even wrote the words, he said, what a wretched person I am. I don't know if you've ever felt that, where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm finally cooking and doing it right, and then you mess up, and you're kinda like, oh, never gonna get this right, and that angst that's in, and Paul writes about that, and he says, who's gonna save me from this? Well, praise be to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who rescues me, Paul says. It's only because of his grace that I get to stand and live this spiritual life that he's calling me to, that I get to now not only put off this other stuff and put it away, but to begin to to put on something new, something better, something that God wishes and desires. Now, maybe you're here and you're kind of on your own spiritual journey, and maybe you've never really come to that place where you've said, okay, I I know about Jesus, but I've never come to that place of saying, okay, I want Jesus to kind of be the leader of my life. Maybe you're not there, and that's cool. I think it's great that you're here. I think it's awesome that you're investing in your spiritual journey. We wanna be a place that you can keep walking those steps out at your own pace and allow God to be real to you and meet you right where you're at. But what Paul's getting ready to say is, here's some things that are for your betterment. It's for your best and I want them for you. Because you could settle for these old things, but at the end of the day, these are not gonna lead you to the life that you really deeply in your heart really want. In fact, it's just gonna stink up your life, and it's not something that's your best for you. But here, you let these attitudes, these actions, these habits be a part of your life, and your life won't go perfect, because this isn't about perfection. We all live still in a broken world. Bad things happen to good people and bad people. And this idea that as you let this become more and more a part of your character, you're becoming more and more reflective of Jesus. In fact, Paul's gonna use this word, uh, church people use this word sometimes. It's a $10 word, it's called sanctification. Ooh, that's impressive. Um, Okay, sanctification, all that really means if we break it down is simply this. God's got you in a process as a follower of Jesus that he's gonna chip away more and more at your character and who you are, that you become more and more reflective of who Jesus is and how he would interact in the world. That's what it means. And so that's why some of the spiritual questions we ask ourselves is not necessarily how many Bible verses do you know, how many small groups do you go to, how many church services do you attend a week, because there's a lot of people that can do all that and still not be changed. What maybe a spiritual question is, okay, am I more spiritually in tune in walking with Jesus today than I was three years ago? Maybe that's more an indicator of spiritual maturity and growth than a number of other things. Now, those other things aren't bad. They're good for you. You should do those. But they're not a measurement of the spiritual change that God wants to do in our lives. What he wants is for us to put on these new clothes, and so these new actions, and we talked about this last week, so quick recap, there's some practices I gave you that I think would be really helpful and healthy for you to have in life and for me to have in life, and one was just the practice of recognition, meaning that at some point when you realize you've got some, you've fallen into some old habits or some, you've settled 
for something that the world says, hey, this is what you should wear, this is how you should live, this is the attitude you should have, that you'd recognize that that's not God's best for you. And it may be okay from a worldly standpoint, but for you as a follower of Jesus, if that is you, then maybe that's settling for something so much less than what God actually has for you. And so you'd learn the practice of recognizing. And then we looked at this idea of this practice of repentance. And repentance, sometimes we make it this really big thing that, okay, if I do something really bad, like I rob a bank, then I'll repent, okay? Well, telling a white lie that shades you in a light that makes you look better than someone else, is that not also something that maybe God says, that, hey, that, why'd you do that? That isn't the best for you. Yeah, you didn't rob a bank, but you robbed someone of value. You robbed me of the dignity I've given you and you've tried to puff your own self up. And so it's this coming to this place of making a practice of recognition and repentance. And now Paul's getting to this place of saying, okay, now let's do this practice of replacing. Because to someone who's stuck in some old habits or some old uh, addictions or some old uh, attitudes of their heart that's playing out, the worst thing you could do to them is to walk up and say, stop it. Because if they've recognized it, they would have stopped it a long time ago if they could. In reality, in counseling sessions and in counseling situations, the challenge is not just to stop it and to walk away from it. It's this idea of replacing it with something better. This is why Paul's talking about, hey, put off this stuff and put on this stuff. This is about the practice of replacing. Because just to yell, stop it. See, I have an easy button here. Um, I don't know if you guys have one of these. They're really awesome. Like if you're ever at home and you need to do the dishes, you just push the button and it says that, is e that was easy and the dishes are done. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> okay, or like if you had homework and you're just like, oh, I don't wanna do that homework. <gasps> I know, that was easy and then it's done, right? So like if you're struggling with an addiction, you're struggling with a habit or an attitude of the heart that's steering you in a way that's not for your best, that was kind of maybe on that list that Paul put forth and said, hey, uh, just yelling stop it is, is like an easy button. They don't exist, okay? They're not real. They're, they're funny and Staples uses it to, to sell you stuff in commercials, but they're not reality. And so reality is, hey, I, I'm gonna learn to let go. I'm gonna put off this stuff and I'm gonna put on these things. So I'm gonna direct my attention and my focus to something else that's gonna replace, not just this idea of stop it. And so what Paul's getting ready to do is, hey, look, this is something that's really, really important. You need to be a person that can replace these things. So here's what he's gonna say and we'll read kind of through where we're going tonight, and then we'll unpack just a, a little bit of it, okay? So, Galatians chapter three, verse 12, here's what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, remember I taught you this a long time ago, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's that therefore, okay? So, because he said a bunch of stuff before this, that's what you gotta ask yourself, okay? Therefore, all these other things before, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion and with kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, we're called to be peace and to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish uh, one another, kind of this idea of encouragement, with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Therefore, as God's holy, dearly loved, chosen people, and then he's gonna give this a list. Remember we looked last week, there's three lists of five things here. And because he starts off this whole chapter with, hey, set your mind and your hearts on things above. Don't get trapped in thinking the way the world thinks down here. Don't let your mind and heart get stuck down here. Get your mind on heart and your heart on things above. And then he's gonna say, there's some things that are holding you back from doing that. Here's that list. You need to let those go. You need to put those off. And now they're gonna put some things on that need to become more and more a part of your character, more and more about how you live, how you interact, how you see the world, how you react in the world. Here's what he's gonna go. But before he gives you this list of what you're gonna put on, I love Paul. Paul is never far from, Paul a lot of times will put out a list of here's things you're gonna do, but the Christian faith is not about, okay, don't do these things and do these things. That's not the Christian faith. That's a part of the Christian journey. But the Christian faith is about who you are. And Paul, in every one of his letters, comes back to this. Hey, you're dearly loved. You're a chosen people. You're treasured to God. See, you've been resurrected. You have this resurrected position in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. You need to remember who you are because we live in a world that tries to tell you who you are and they're lying to you. And what Paul's saying is, you need to know who you are because when you know who you are, well, then it's much easier to put off these old things and put on these new things because you remember who you are. This is Old Testament language, this hesed love uh, in Hebrew, that's what Paul's kind of pointing back to, this Old Testament kind of love that God has, that a lot of people read the Old Testament and go, well, God's a God of wrath. Well, okay, there's definitely parts of that, and we can have different conversations about that, but there's this hesed love, this covenant kind of love, that no matter how many times God's people or individuals turn their back on God, he never turned their back on them. He had this pursuing kind of love, and he still does, because they're dearly loved, they're chosen, you are a chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. We have been given this position, not because we're good enough and not because we've done something, but because of who we are in Christ. We're now hidden with him. And so we have this new position as a follower of Jesus. This is what we are. And now, now that you know who you are, now I want you to put on something different. I want you to be a people who live. And he lists out these five things. Here's what he says. Compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion is actually a combination of two Greek words here. Um, the one is uh, <coughs> splagma, which is kind of cool to say, and orctimus, which is even harder to say, uh, and I probably butchered that. But this idea that those words are translated, this is where it gets funny, uh, bowels of mercy. And you're like, bowels? <laughs> he said body joke. Yeah, um, because here's in the first century, here's what they understood. The seat of your emotions, when you get upset, what turns in you? Okay, it's in here, right? 
That's what's turning. When you're uh, frustrated, when you're struggling with things, what's turning? It's in here. So in the first century, that's where they believe the seat of your emotions were. Okay, we know it's a little different now, but that's what they're writing. They're writing about how they feel, what they see. And so there's this challenge to say, look, you ought to be a person of compassion that's moved in a way. Compassion is not empathy. Empathy is I feel bad for you. Good luck. Compassion is I see something and I'm gonna get involved. That's compassion. What's the most described emotion in the Gospels about Jesus? Anyone know? Take a wild guess what the preacher's trying to make a point of. Compassion. Compassion is the most described emotion of Jesus when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You add them all up, and the, the overwhelming majority is Jesus was moved with compassion. And what did he do? Every sentence after that, when you read that sentence in the Bible, it's Jesus was moved with compassion and he acted. He did something. It wasn't just a feeling that says, okay, I feel this way. I feel bad or I feel you know, stress for you. Compassion says, no, I feel something and I'm gonna get involved and do something. There's an action, a reaction to this. This is what we need to be as a marker of our life. You need to be people, we need to be people that are compassionate to the people around us. We need to have kindness. This idea of kindness is something that says, hey, it's more than just courtesy. It's this idea of overflowing with generosity of a courteous in nature, describing an individual whose life and relationships are, are, have this empathetic portion to them because they see value in people and they wanna be kind. Maybe the simplest way for us to do that is in our language, that we speak kindly to the people around us, that we don't belittle people, that we don't demean people, we don't think that we're better than and help other people feel less than, that we speak with this kindness in our conversations and in our relationships. We're to have humility, Paul writes. That's an honest, uh, kind of a modest disregard for yourself. It's not thinking of less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. In, in our culture, in our selfie culture, that's a challenge, isn't it? If we're just honest that in our culture where we can go to any restaurant and have it just our way, the way we want, we can go on Amazon and dial up anything that we want, if we can go to any place, any entertainment option, and we can make it about what we want. There's not a bad thing about that necessarily, but what does that breed in us? Not necessarily fostering humility, is it? In fact, that kind of fosters a different thing than humility. And Paul's saying, look, I want you to put on this idea of humility as a part of how you live, this gentleness, this characterized by the disposition of gentleness and consideration uh, for others, kind of submitting my will under so that other people can have their will. And if both people are doing that, especially like in a marriage, then both people win. It's when one person takes advantage of that that it becomes weird. And so it's this challenge to say, hey, be gentle in your relationships. Have this patience, this long endurance that, okay, I could retaliate, but I'm gonna choose not to. I'm gonna have patience in this situation. That's a challenge to do. 
So he lists out these things. Here's what I want you to wear now. Here's what I want to be markers of how you live. This compassion, this kindness, this humility, this gentleness, this patience. And then he goes into a long description, a couple uh, sentences here about forgiveness. We need to be people who have forgiveness as a part of how we live. That uh, not just forgiveness that we get from God, forgiveness must flow through us and readily flow into others. It must be this idea of gracious and understanding the gracious and forgiving nature of our Father. That forgiveness has got to flow kind of through us as it readily flows kind of into us because Jesus is forgiving us. And so we become not a reservoir of forgiveness that we hoard, but a conduit of forgiveness that kind of seeds into our relationships that we have. That forgiveness is a big, big deal. In fact, Paul talks about it so often. We talk about the weight of unforgiveness. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, that people who live with this, the grudges of life have this weight or this burden upon them. In fact, there were some researchers in the Netherlands at a university there who did a study where they had one group uh, think about a time where they had to uh, be forgiven, and that person forgave them and they kind of just meditated on that, think about that, and they had this other person, and they were just thinking about all the grudges that they had, the things that they were holding against people, right? And then they had them test these uh, two groups by jumping. They had them jump five times in a row without bending their knees deeply. They just had to jump as high. The people who lived with this idea, who focused and, and thought about this idea of, of being forgiven, living as a person who's forgiven or they've forgiven someone else, they were able to jump on average about 11 and a half inches, which is pretty good to be honest. I tried it at home today because I was like, without bending your knees deeply, and I'm not gonna do it right now because it was awkward, I'm gonna be honest, okay? And uh, there was no video proof. So, um, but the average people who would live with this forgiveness could jump higher. The eight and a half inches was the people who would, kind of the study group that said, okay, I'm gonna focus on my grudges and the people who haven't forgiven me. And what the researchers kind of came to believe, they did a couple other quick studies, but here's what the researcher, uh, the lead study said this. A state of unforgiveness is like carrying a heavy burden, a burden that victims bring with them when they navigate the physical world. Forgiveness can lighten this burden. Interesting that even some researchers are kind of showing what you know to be true. Um, A couple quotes that I love. Uh, Lewis Smedes writes this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. See, forgiveness isn't about admitting that what the other person did was right. It could be dead wrong. But forgiveness isn't about them. It's about you. It's about you choosing to live in freedom and not let that grudge, we think we can nurse a grudge along and that it actually makes us stronger when a reality it just kind of sucks the life out of you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, C.S. Lewis. See, that's where this idea we need to continually stay locked in to the forgiveness that we've been given and we don't become a reservoir of it, we become a conduit of it. Uh, some of you are hunters and uh, there's this picture I found of, two, uh, did that picture show up? Um, so if not, there's this picture of, of two bucks that got their antlers stuck together, right? And the only thing that the people who were walking out in the woods found was the two skulls 
of these two deer, these two male deer who had their antlers stuck together intertwined that obviously at some point got in this fight with one another and got their antlers tangled and could never escape it. And they both died. And so you just find these skulls laying on the ground. And the person who found this wrote this note and said, don't ever let your grudges, the things that you're battling with other people, lock you in that you lose life over it. And so maybe what Paul's writing here is what he says elsewhere and what other writers of the scriptures say often is that forgiveness is a big deal. And we need to let that flow through us because if we stay locked into the forgiveness that Jesus has for us, well, then we can learn to avoid getting locked up in unforgiveness with others. That we need to to let this practice and let this flow. And so the invitation for you this week is how are you doing at that? How are you doing with this forgiveness thing? This is a big deal. So is there someone in your life that you need to own and you need to say, you know what, I, I need to ask for forgiveness for that or I need to seek out and go give it because I've been holding this grudge. And if you can't do it with that person, then at least you and God have a conversation because this is about letting go of that. This is about saying, look, I'm not gonna let that own me in how I see life. That is, I wanna stay locked in. And then Paul kind of goes on in the statement. He says, over all these things, so over compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, over gentleness, over all this stuff, put on love. In essence, think of it this way. It's kind of like, okay, if I got a suit, but we're like not here in Arizona where it's hot already in March. Oh, Jesus, please help us. Um, <clears throat> but where you live where it's cold, that maybe you picture love as like this giant outer coat that you'd wear if you're back in the Midwest or back in the East or overseas, that you would be at this place where you'd have your suit on, these good clothes, and then you'd put on this outer cloak. What Paul's really saying is let, let love be the one that binds all of this together for you. Put on this coat, if you will, of love and let it be a part of how you live and how you interact with life. Jesus said it in John 13, people will know that you're my followers by what? The way you love one another. He made it this giant statement, this indication. In fact, he even said this, a new command I give you. Well, who's the one who gave the original commands? God. So there's another indication that Jesus is claiming his divinity that he's saying, a new command I give you. You're to love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. You're the people who follow me. And you're to be thankful. In fact, three times in verses 15, 16, and 17, uh, Paul's gonna write about this idea of thankfulness. That thankfulness needs to be part, gratitude, attitude needs to be a part of how we live life. It needs to permeate how we live. A thankless Christian is a powerless Christian because they've never really tapped into this idea that everything we have is a gift. Everything that's ever been done is a gift from God for you. And that I need to live with this incredible gratitude that I could be stuck with this and have no hope and have no indication that God would ever even be concerned for me. But instead, he shows up and says, look, I got something so much better for you. And not only if I set you your eternity straight, but I want to help your here and now and how you live and experience life. And I'm telling you, this is the better way to live. 
is what the scriptures are always saying. The enemy would love for us to get stuck with the grudge or to have no gratitude. And if, you can get, if he can get you stuck with nursing grudges and walking away from gratitude, then you become spiritually sidelined. And you're not in the game anymore. And you're existing and you're there, but you're not a player on the field. You're stuck on the sideline. And that's, I think, why Paul keeps giving this list. He says, look, this is the stuff that needs to be a part of your life and a part of your living. This is what you need to be. So you keep your focus on these things. You replace this other stuff with these things and ask God to build this more and more into your character, that you become more and more reflective of how it's going. So you keep this practice of recognition, this recognizing when things are out of, out of balance or out of alignment, that you keep this practice of repentance, of saying, hey, I, I wanna be a person that owns the things that I'm beginning to recognize. God, you're right, that's not the best for me. And you, you died for all my sin, you took care of it all once and for all, but this is about me recognizing and owning that I'm agreeing with you that this isn't the best for me. You want me to have something better, and I want that too. And so I'm gonna replace this old stuff with this new stuff. And, and I know it's gonna be a tug of war at times, but God, I want you to help, help me, empower me to be a person that lives more compassionately, that lives with humility, that lives with this gentleness, that lives with this idea of forgiveness being a part of how I live, that lives with this thankfulness of heart. My hunch is you know people who are living that way out. And my second hunch is this, that even from afar, you look at their life and you go, I wish my life was more like that. Because here's what you see in the spiritual wardrobe makeover. People with that kind of life and that kind of living, it's just attractive. And what you realize is that really is the best possible way to live. This other stuff, it may seem flashy, but it's not ultimately gonna take you to where you want to go and what you want your life to be about. Jesus always leads his followers toward better things. All throughout the scripture, you look at his life, he's always leading his followers to the better things of life. It doesn't mean they're not challenging, it doesn't mean they're not difficult, but they're better. And so he wants us to follow him. See, the truth is, if you would just begin if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, if you just begin, or if you have begun a relationship with Jesus, if you just keep in step with him, he will lead you to better stuff, and he'll lead you away from the stuff that's holding you back and actually damaging you. And maybe you don't even recognize it, because Jesus always leads people to what's best for them. And so this invitation this week is simply, how are you doing in this? Uh, Paul writes this, Elsewhere, uh, let me just kind of show you. Galatians chapter five, here's what he says. Remember there's another list in Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit, maybe you've heard of it. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That those are the things that have become more and more reflective. That's the good wardrobe that God wants to put more and more in your life and how you live, the attitude of your heart. Do you know what the two verses right after that say? Well, of course you do because they're on the screen. <clears throat> those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their flesh with the passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning, wherever Jesus goes, I wanna go there. And wherever he's leading you, 
that you keep following him because here's what I've seen. People who follow after Jesus eventually walk away from the stuff that's damaging them. They just do because Jesus always leads people to what's best for them. He just does. And so what Paul is saying is, look, you set your mind and your hearts on things above. And I know there's gonna be this tug of war. There's stuff you're gonna have to put off, but there's stuff you need to put on. And because remember, you're chosen and you are dearly loved and you're God's. You're his possession. You belong to him. You're hidden in Christ. And because of that, because of who you are, now you can choose to begin to put off and to put on something different. And so I'm not sure where that hits you tonight. The simple invitation I think tonight is, is where are you in that? This, remember we talked about this list of compassion. How are you doing in that? How are you doing with this idea of humility or gentleness or kindness of speech, this kindness in how you act with people? How are you doing in forgiveness? How are you doing in thankfulness of heart? Is there one of those things that maybe the spirit right now is saying, hey, I want you to keep in step with me. That one right there, that's the one I want you to work on. That's the one we need to go on a journey. You just keep following me and I'm gonna lead you to the better part of what that means and how to integrate that more and more in your life. And so as we move to a time of communion, I just invite you, um, we kind of create some space. If you want to partake in communion, you're welcome to do that as we remember Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, all the grace that he gives us. He meets us at our point of need. And we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna sing this song and we're gonna close tonight. Maybe you just wanna sit there and reflect and you and God have this conversation, okay, how am I doing it? keeping in step with maybe this area that maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of whispering to your heart and says, this is the one. These next few months, let's work on this one together. What is that for you? So Father, I pray as we move into a time of just remembering Jesus, we reflect again on your life, your death, your resurrection. We realize that what you accomplished on the cross did everything for us. It's given us a, a position of who we are in you. Not based on our merits, not based on what we can accomplish, based on what you did for us and what's been done, not what we do. And so we remember that. And as a follower of you, Jesus, tonight uh, we just create some space and some time to remember uh, your body shed for us, your, your, your blood shed for us, your body given. Maybe this is a moment for us just to reflect and your Holy Spirit maybe impresses one of those things that Paul wrote about here in Colossians that you want us to take on a journey and keep in step with you about. And as we sing this song, uh, may we worship you with our heart. As we go throughout this week, may you stir us to remember who we are and to now reflect the attitudes and actions of the heart that you want to build more and more into our character and who we are. We ask that you'd be stirring our hearts in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray.